This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com Nancy Myers, Sarah Hartgens. Megan Hunt, Michelle Paez, Emily V, David Wheel, Margaret McGetrick, Angela Robbins, Emily Suxo, Samantha Mason, Rachel Stevenson, Be More Home, and Sophie and Noah, who I'm told are big fans of the show. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making the Sleepy Podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, all these wonderful names I just read are brand new supporters of Sleepy 
on patreon.com which is an awesome site where you can go and support creators of the work that you like so if the sleepy podcast has helped you get a better night's sleep and wake up more refreshed the next day and consider going to patreon.com slash radio and donating even a dollar a month. It goes a really long way. And at $5 a month, you get access to our special poetry feed where I send you extra poetry readings every month just for donating. Regardless of how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So, if you'd like to be a part of making the show, Go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight, uh, the first episode of Black History Month this year, 2021, we're going to be rereading uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. By Alexander Dumas. Alexander Dumas, of course, wrote The Count of Monte Cristo. He wrote Three Musketeers, and um, a lot of people don't know that he is a writer of color. So, this month, to start off, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Marseille, Arrival On February 24, 1815, the lookout at Notre Dame de la Garde signaled the arrival of the three-master Farian, coming from Smyrna, Trieste, and Naples. As usual, a coastal pilot immediately left the port, sailed hard by the Chateau d'If, and boarded the ship between the Cap de Morgo and the island of Rue. At once, as was also customary, the terrace of the Fort Saint-Jean was thronged with onlookers because the arrival of the ship was always a great event in Marseille, particularly when the vessel, like the Farian, has been built, fitted out, and laded in the shipyards of the old port and belongs to an owner from the town. Meanwhile, the ship was drawing near, and had successfully negotiated the narrows created by some volcanic upheaval between the islands of Calcerane and Jar. It rounded Pomagy, and was proceeding under its three topsails, its outer jib, and its spanker, and so slowly, and with such melancholy progress that the bystanders instinctively sensing some misfortune, wondered what accident could have occurred on board. Nevertheless, those who were experts in nautical matters acknowledged that if there had been such an accident, it could not have affected the vessel itself, 
for its progress gave every indication of a ship under perfect control. The anchor was ready to drop, and the bowsprit shrouds loosed. Next to the pilot, who was preparing to guide the ferryman through the narrow entrance of the port of Marseille, stood a young man, alert and sharp-eyed, supervising every movement of the ship and repeating each one of the pilot's commands. One of the spectators on the terrace of the Fort St. Jean had been particularly affected by the vague sense of unease that hovered among them, so much so that he could not wait for the vessel to come to land. He leapt into a small boat and ordered it to be rowed out of the ferryman, coming alongside opposite the cove of the La Reserve. When he saw the man approaching, the young sailor left his place beside the pilot and, hat in hand, came and leant on the bulwarks of the ship. He was a young man of between 18 and 20, tall, slim, with fine dark eyes and ebony black hair. His whole demeanor possessed the calm and resolve peculiar to men who have been accustomed from childhood to wrestle with danger. Ah, it is you, Dantes, the man on the boat cried. What has happened, and why is there this air of dejection about all on board? A great misfortune, Monsieur Morel, the young man replied. A great misfortune, especially for me, while off Savita Vecchia. We lost our good captain, Leclerc. And the cargo? The ship owner asked brusquely. It has come safe to port, Monsieur Morel, and I think you'll be content on that score. But poor Captain Leclerc. What happened to him then? The ship owner asked, visibly relieved. So what happened to the good captain? He's dead. Lost overboard. No, monsieur. He died of an apoplectic fever in terrible agony. Then, turning back to his crew, he said, Look lively there. Every man to his station drop anchor. The crew obeyed. As one man, the eight or ten sailors of which it was composed left, some to the sheets, others to the braces, others to the halyards, others to the jib and still others to the brails. The young sailor glanced casually at the start of this operation and, seeing that his orders were being carried out, prepared to resume the conversation. But how did this misfortune occur? The ship owner continued, picking it up where the young man had left off. By heaven, monsieur, in the most unexpected way imaginable, after a long conversation with the commander of the port, Captain Leclerc left Naples in a state of great agitation. Twenty-four hours later, he was seized with fever, and three days after that, he was dead. We gave him the customary funeral, and he now rests, decently wrapped in a hammock, with a thirty-six-pound cannonball at his feet, and another at his head, off the island of Giglio. We brought his medal and his sword back for his widow, 
Much good it did him, the young man continued with a melancholy smile. To fight the war against the English for ten years, only to die at last, like anyone else, in his bed. Damn it, Monsieur Edmund, what did you expect? said the ship owner, who appeared to be finding more and more to console him in his grief. We are all mortal. The old must give way to the young, or else there will be no progress or promotion. As long as you can assure me that the cargo... All is well with it, Monsieur Morel. I guarantee you. If you take my advice, you will not discount this trip for a profit of 25,000 francs. Then, as they had just sailed past the round tower, the young sailor cried, Furl the topmast sails, the jib, and the spanker. Look lively. The order was obeyed with almost as much dispatch as on a man of war. Let go and brail all. At this last command, all the sails were lowered and the progress of the ship became almost imperceptible, driven only by the impetus of its forward motion. And now, if you would like to come aboard, Monsieur Morel, Dante said, observing the owner's patience, I see your supercargo, Monsieur Danglars, coming out of his cabin. He will give you all the information that you desire. As for me, I must see to the mooring and put the ship in mourning. The owner did not need asking twice. He grasped hold of a line that Dante's threw to him, and with an agility that would have done credit to a seaman, climbed the rungs nailed to the bulging side of the ship, while Dante's went back to his port and left the conversation to the man he had introduced as Danglars. The latter was indeed emerging from his cabin and coming across to the ship owner. This new arrival was a man, 25 to 26 years old, somewhat somber in appearance, obsequious towards his superiors, and insolent to his subordinates. Hence, even apart from the label of supercargo, which always in itself causes aversion among sailors. He was generally as much disliked by the crew as Dante's was loved by them. Well, Monsieur Morel, said Dangler, you have heard the bad news, I suppose. Yes, yes, poor Captain Leclerc. He was a fine and upright man, and above all an excellent sailor. Whether between the sea and the heavens, as was proper in a man responsible for looking after the interests of so important a firm as Morel and Son, Danglars replied. Even so, the ship owner replied, watching Dante as while he was searching for his mooring. Even so, I think one need not be a seaman of such long experience as you say, Danglars, to know the business. There's our friend Edmund going about his. It seems to me like a man who has no need to ask advice of anybody. Indeed, said Danglars, casting a sidelong glance at Dante's with a flash of hatred in his eyes. Yes, indeed. He is young and full of self-confidence. The captain was hardly dead 
before he had taken command without asking anyone and made us lose a day and a half on the island of Elba instead of returning directly to Marseille. As far as taking command of the ship is concerned, said the owner, that was his duty as first mate. As for losing a day and a half at Elba, he was in the wrong, unless there was some damage to the ship that needed repairing. The ship was in as good a shape as I am, and as good as I hope you are, Monsieur Morel. That day and a half was lost on a whim, for nothing other than the pleasure of going ashore. Dante's, the owner said, turning towards the young man, will you come here? Your pardon, monsieur, Dante said. I shall be with you in an instant. Then, to the crew, he called, drop anchor. The anchor was immediately lowered, and the chain ran out noisily. Dante stayed at his post, even though the pilot was there, until the last operation had been carried out, then ordered, lower the pennant and the flag to half-mast, embrace the yards. You see, Dangler said, I do believe he thinks himself captain already. So he is, in effect, said the owner. Yes, apart from your signature and that of your partner, Monsieur Morel. By gad, why shouldn't we leave him the job, said the owner. He is young, I grant you. But he seems made for it and very experienced in his work. A cloud passed across Dangler's brow. Excuse me, Monsieur Morel, Dante said as he came over. Now that the ship is moored, I am entirely at your disposal. I think you called me. Danglers took a step back. I wanted to ask why you stopped on the island of Elba. I don't know, monsieur. It was to carry out a last order from Captain Leclerc, who gave me, on his deathbed, a packet from Marshal Bertrand. Did you see him, Edmund? Um, the Grand Marshal. Yes. Morel looked about him and drew Dante's aside. And how is the emperor? He asked earnestly. He is well, as far as I can judge by my own eyes. So you saw the emperor too, did you? He came to visit the marshal while I was there. And did you speak to him? It was he, monsieur, who spoke to me, Dante said, smiling. And what did he say? He asked me about the ship, the time of its departure from Marseille, the route it had taken and the cargo we were carrying. I think that, had it been empty and I the master of it, he intended to buy it. But I told him that I was only the first mate and that the ship belonged to the firm of Morel and Son. Ah, yes, he said. I know them. The Morels have been ship owners from father to son, and there was the Morel who served in the same regiment as I did when I was garrisoned at Valence. By heaven, that's a fact, the ship owner cried with delight. It was Pollocker Morel, my uncle, who later made captain. Dante's, tell my uncle that the emperor remembered him 
and you will bring tears to the old trooper's eyes. Come, come now. He went on, putting a friendly arm across the young man's shoulders. You did well to follow Captain Leclerc's instructions and stop on Elba, even though if it were known that you gave a packet to the marshal and you spoke to the emperor, you might be compromised. How could it compromise me, monsieur, said Dantes. I don't even know what I was carrying and the emperor only asked me the same questions that he would have put to anyone else. But please, excuse me, he continued. The health authorities and the customs are coming on board. With your permission. Of course, of course, my dear Dantes. Carry on. The young man went off, and as he did so, Danglars returned. So, he asked, it appears that he gave you a good reason for stopping off at Porto Ferrajo. Excellent reason, my dear Danglars. I am pleased to hear it, the other replied. It is always distressing to see a comrade fail in his duty. Dante has did his duty, the ship owner answered, and there's no more to be said. It was Captain Leclerc who ordered him to be put into port. Speaking of Captain Leclerc, did he not give you a letter from him? Who? Dante's. Not to me. Was there one? I believe that, apart from the packet, Captain Leclerc entrusted him with a letter. Which packet are you referring to, Danglars? The same that Dante's delivered when we stopped at Porto Ferrajo. And how did you know that he had a packet to deliver at Porto Ferrajo? Danglars blushed. I was passing by the door of the captain's cabin, which was partly open, and I saw him handing the packet and the letter to Dante's. He did not mention it, said the owner, but if he has such a letter, he will give it to me. Danglars thought for a moment. In that case, Monsieur Morel, he said, I beg you to say nothing about it to Dante's. I must have been mistaken. At that moment, the young man came back and Danglars left them. Now, my dear Dante's, are you free? The owner asked. Yes, Monsieur. It did not take long. No, I gave the customs a list of our cargo and as for the port authorities... They sent a man with the coastal pilot, and I handed our papers over to him. So, you have nothing more to do here. Dante's cast a rapid glance about him. No, everything is in order, he said. Then you can come and take dinner with us. Please, Monsieur Morel, I beg you to excuse me. But the first thing I must do is go visit my father. Nonetheless, I am most grateful for the honor you do me. That's proper, Dantes, very proper. I know that you are a good son. And, Dantes asked somewhat hesitantly, as far as you know, he's in good health, my father. I do believe so, my dear Edmund, though I have not seen him. Yes, 
he stays shut up in his little room, which at least proves that he lacked nothing while you were away. Dante smiled. My father is a proud man, monsieur, and even if he were short of everything, I doubt, I doubt if he would have asked for help from anyone in the world except God. Now, when you've done that, we can count on your company. I must beg you once more to excuse me, Monsieur Moreau, but after that first visit, there is another that is no less important to me. Ah, Dante's that is true. I was forgetting that there is someone in Las Catalans who must be expecting you with no less impatience than your father, the lovely Mercedes. Dante smiled. Aha, said the owner. Now I understand why she came around three times to ask me for the news of the ferryman. Dash it, Edmund. You're a lucky fellow to have such a pretty mistress. She is not my mistress, monsieur, the young sailor said gravely. She is my fiancée. It sometimes amounts to the same thing, the owner said with a chuckle. Not for us, monsieur, Dante's replied. Come, come, my dear Edmund, the other continued. Don't let me detain you. You've looked after my business well enough for me to give you every opportunity to look after your own. Do you need any money? No, monsieur. I have all my salary from the trip. That is, nearly three months' pay. You manage your affairs well, my boy. You might add that my father is a poor man, Monsieur Morel. Yes, indeed. I know you are a good son to him. So, go and see your father. I, too, have a son, and I should bear a grudge against the man who kept him away from me after a three-month voyage. May I take my leave, then? The young man said with a bow. Yes, if you have nothing more to say to me. No. When Captain Leclerc was dying, he did not give you a letter for me. It would have been impossible for him to write one, monsieur. But that reminds me. I wanted to ask you for a fortnight's leave. To get married. Firstly, then go to Paris. Very well. Have as much time as you want, Dantes. It will take us a good six weeks to unload the vessel. We shall hardly be ready to put to sea again within three months. In three months' time, however... He must be there. The ferryman, the ship owner continued, putting a hand across the young sailor's shoulders, cannot set sail without its captain. Without its captain, Dantes cried, his eyes lighting up with joy. Be very careful what you are saying, monsieur, because you have just touched on the most secret of my heart's desires. Can it be? that you intend to appoint me captain of the ferryman. If it was up to me alone, I should grasp your hand, my dear Dantes, and say to you, the matter is settled. But I have a partner, and you know the Italian proverb, ci accompagno a padrone. But, at least, we are halfway there, since you already have one of the two votes you need. 
Leave it to me to get you the other, and I shall do my best. Oh, Monsieur Morel, the young sailor cried with tears in his eyes, grasping the shipowner's hands. Monsieur Morel, I thank you on behalf of my father and of Mercedes. Fine, Edmund, fine. There is a God in heaven who looks after honest folk. Go and see your father. Go and see Mercedes. Then, when that's done, come and see me. But you don't want me to accompany you back to land. No, thank you. I shall stay here to settle my accounts with Dangris. Were you happy with him during the voyage? It depends on what you understand by that question, monsieur. If you mean, as a good companion, no, because I think that he has not liked me since the day that I had the folly, after a trifling dispute between us, to suggest that we should stop for ten minutes on the Isle of Monte Cristo to settle the matter. It was wrong of me to propose that, and he was right to refuse. If you are asking me about him, as a supercargo, I think that there is nothing to say, and that you will be satisfied with the manner in which his duties have been carried out. Come now, Dante's the shipowner asked. If you were captain of the Farian, would you be pleased to keep Danglars? Whether as captain or as first mate, Monsieur Morel, Dante's replied. I shall always have the highest regard for those who enjoy the confidence of my owners. Well, well, Dantes, you are clearly a fine lad in every respect. Let me detain you no longer, for I can see that you are on ten rocks. I may take my leave, asked Dantes. Go on, I am telling you. Will you permit me to use your bow? Take it. Au revoir, Monsieur Morel, and thank you a thousand times. Au revoir, dear Edmund, and good luck. The young sailor leapt into the boat, seated himself in the stern, and gave the order to row across the canabier. Two sailors immediately bent over their oars, and the vessel proceeded as fast as it could. Among the thousand small boats that obstruct a sort of narrow alleyway leading between two lines of ships from the harbor entrance to the Quad Orleans. The ship owner looked after him, smiling, until the boat touched land and he saw him leap on the cobbled quay, where he was instantly lost in the variegated crowd that from five in the morning until nine in the evening throngs the famous street known as La Canabière, the modern inhabitants of this old Fichian colony are so proud of it that they proclaim with all seriousness in the world in that accent which gives such savior to everything they say. If Paris had the Canabière, Paris would be a little Marseille. Turning the ship owner saw Danglars standing behind him, apparently awaiting orders, but in reality, like him, watching the young sailor's departure. Yet, there were very different expressions in these two pairs of eyes following the one man.
father and son. We shall leave Danglers, gripped by the demon of hatred, trying to poison the shipowner's ear with some malicious libel against his comrade, and follow Dante, who, after walking along the Canabiere, took the Rue de Noël, entered a small house on the left side of the Elise de Milan, and hastened up four flights of a dark stairway. There, holding the banister with one hand, while the other repressed the beating of his heart, he stopped before a half-open door through which he could see to the back of a small room. In this room lived Dante's father. News of the arrival of the ferryman had not yet reached the old man, who was standing on a chair, engaged with trembling hands and pinning up some nasturtiums and clematis that climbed across the trellis outside his window. Suddenly, he felt himself grasp around the waist, and a well-known voice exclaimed behind him, Father, my dear father. The old man cried out and turned around. Then, seeing his son, fell into his arms, pale and trembling. What is it, father? The young man exclaimed with concern. Are you unwell? No, no, dear Edmund. My son, my child. No, but I was not expecting you. And the joy, the shock of seeing you like this unexpectedly, oh heavens, it is too much for me. Now then, Father, calm yourself. I am really here. They always say that joy cannot harm you, which is why I came in without warning. Come now, smile. Don't look at me like that with those wild eyes. I am back and there is happiness in store for us. I am pleased to hear it, my boy, the old man continued. But what happiness? Are you going to stay with me from now on? Come, tell me about your good fortune. God forgive me, the young man said, for rejoicing at good fortune, which has brought grief to the family of another. But God knows, I never wish for it. It has happened, and I do not have the heart to grieve at it. Our good Captain Leclerc is dead, Father, and it seems likely that, thanks to Morel's support, I shall have his command. Do you understand, Father? A captain, at twenty, with a salary of a hundred louis and a share in the profits. Isn't that better than a poor sailor like myself could expect? Yes, my son, yes, said the old man. This is indeed a stroke of luck. So I want you to have a little house, with the first money I earn, and a garden to grow your clematis your nasturtiums, and your honeysuckle. But what's wrong, Father? You look ill. An instant. Don't worry. It is nothing. And, his strength failing him, he leaned back. Father, cried the young man, come, have a glass of wine. It will revive you. Where do you keep your wine? No, thank you. Don't bother to look for it. There is no need, he replied, trying to restrain his son. Yes, 
Indeed there is, Father. Show me it. He opened one or two cupboards. It's a waste of time, the old man said. There is no wine left. What? No wine, Dante said, paling in turn as he looked from the old man's sunken and livid cheeks to the empty cupboards. What? You have no wine left. Have you been short of money, father? I am short of nothing. Now that you are here, said the old man. But I left you two hundred francs, Dante stammered, wiping the sweat from his brow. Two months ago, as I was leaving. Yes, yes, Edmund, so you did. But when you left, you forgot a small debt to my neighbor, Kairos. He reminded me of it, and said that if I did not settle it on your behalf, he would go and reclaim it from Monsieur Morel. So, you understand, I was afraid that I might do you some harm. And, and I paid it. But, Dantes exclaimed, I owed Caterus a hundred and forty francs. Yes, the old man mumbled. And you paid them out of two hundred francs that I left you. His father nodded. Which means that you lived for three months on sixty francs, the young man exclaimed. You know how small my needs are. Oh, heaven, heaven forgive me, Edmund cried, falling on his knees in front of the old man. What are you doing? Ah, you've broken my heart. Pa, you are here, the old man said with a smile. All is forgotten, because all is well. Yes. Here I am, said the young man. Here I am with a fine future and a little money. Here, father, he said. Take it. Take it and send out for something immediately. He emptied the contents of his pockets on the table. A dozen gold coins, five or six franc pieces and some small change. Old Dante's face lit up. Whose is that? he asked. Mine, thine, ours, of course. Take it, buy some food and enjoy yourself. There will be more tomorrow. Gently, gently, the old man said, smiling. If you don't mind, I shall go easy on your money. If people see me buying too many things at once, they will think they had to wait for you to come back before I went shopping. Do as you think best. But first of all, Father, get yourself a housemaid. I don't want you to live on your own from now on. I have some contraband coffee and some excellent tobacco and a little chest in the hold. You will have it tomorrow. But hush, someone is coming. That will be Cateros, who has learned of your arrival and is no doubt coming to welcome you back. There's a fellow who says one thing and thinks another, Edmund muttered. No matter. He is a neighbor who has helped us in the past, so let him come in. Just as Edmund finished saying this under his breath, the black, bearded head of Cateros appeared on the landing, framed in the outer door, a man of twenty-five or twenty-six years of age. 
he was holding a piece of cloth, which, being a tailor, he was about to fashion into the lining of a jacket. You're back again then, Edmund, he said, with a thick Marseille accent and a broad smile, revealing teeth as white as ivory. As you can see, neighbor, I'm entirely at your service, Dante's reply, his polite formula barely disguising his coldness towards the man. Thank you. Thank you. Fortunately, I need nothing. In fact, it is sometimes others who need me. Dante's bridal. I'm not saying that for you, my boy. I lent you money, and you returned it. That's how things are done between good neighbors, and we're quits. We are never quits towards those who have done us a favor, said Dante's. Even when one ceases to owe them money, one owes them gratitude. There's no sense of speaking of that. What's past is past. Let's talk about your happy return, young man. I just happened to go down to the harbor to fetch some brown cloth, and I met your friend Danglers. You're in Marseille, I exclaimed. Yes, as you see. I thought you were in Smyrna. It could well be, because I've just come back from there. And where's young Edmund, then? At his father's, I suppose, Danglers told me. So, I came at once, Caterus concluded, to have the pleasure of shaking the hand of a friend. Dear Caterus, the old man said, he is so fond of us. Indeed, I am. I hold you in the greater esteem, since honest people are so rare. But it seems you have come into money, my boy. The tailor went on, glancing at the handful of gold and silver that Dante's had emptied onto the table. The young man observed a flash of greed light up in his neighbor's dark eyes. Heavens, no, he said casually. That money is not mine. I was just telling my father that I was afraid he might have wanted it for something while I was away, and, to reassure me, he emptied his purse onto the table. Come, father, he continued, put that money back in your pocket. Unless, of course, our neighbor needs some for himself, in which case it is at his disposal. Indeed not, my boy, said Caterus. I need nothing. And thank God my business holds body and soul together. Keep your money. Keep it. One can never have too much. Still, I am obliged for your offer, as much as if I had taken advantage of it. It was well meant, said Dantes. I don't doubt that it was. So, I learned that you are on good terms with Monsieur Morel. Sly one that you are. Monsieur Morel has always been very good to me, Dante's answer. In that case, you were wrong to refuse dinner with him. What do you mean, refuse dinner? Old Dante's asked. Did he invite you to dinner? Yes, father, said Edmund, smiling at his father's astonishment on learning of his high honor. So, why did you refuse, son? 
the old man asked. So that I could come straight back here, father, the young man answered. I was anxious to see you. He must have been put out by it, that good Monsieur Morel, Caderousse remarked. When one hopes to be made captain, it is a mistake to get on the wrong side of one's owner. I explained the reason for my refusal, and I hope he understood it. Even so, to be promoted to captain, one must flatter one's bosses a little. I expect to become captain without that, Dante's retorted. So much the better. All your old friends will be pleased for you, and I know someone over there, behind the citadel of St. Nicholas, who will not be unhappy about it either. Mercedes, the old man said. Yes, father, Dante's resumed. And with your permission, now that I've seen you, now that I know you are well, and that you have all you need, I would like to ask your leave to go and visit Miss Catalans. Go, child, old Dante said, and may God bless you as much in your wife as he has blessed me and my son. His wife, said Caderousse. Hold on, old man, hold on. As far as I know, she's not that yet. No, Edmund replied, but in all probability, she soon will be. Never mind, said Caderousse, never mind. You have done well to hurry back, my boy. Why? Because Mercedes is a beautiful girl, and beautiful girls are never short of admirers, especially that one. There are dozens of them after her. Really, Edmund said with a smile, not entirely concealing a hint of unease. Oh yes, Caderousse continued, and some with good prospects too. But of course, you are going to be captain, so she'll sure be not to refuse you. By which you mean, Dante said, smiling, but barely concealing his anxiety, that if I were not a captain. Ah, ah, said Caderousse. Come now, the young man said. I have a better opinion than you of women in general, and Mercedes in particular, and I am persuaded that, whether I were a captain or not, she would remain faithful to me. So much the better. When one is going to get married, it is always a good thing to have faith. But enough of that. Take my advice, lad. Don't waste any time in telling her of your return and letting her know about your aspirations. I am going at once, said Edmund. He embraced his father, nodded to Caderousse, and left. Caderousse stayed a moment longer. Then, taking his leave of the elder Dantes, followed the young man down and went to find Danglars, who was waiting for him in the quarter of Roussinac. Well, Danglars asked, did you see him? I have just left them, said Caderousse. And did he talk about his hope of being made captain? He spoke of it as though he had already been appointed. Patience, Danglars said. It seems to me that he is in rather too much of a hurry. Why, 
It seems Monsieur Morel has given him his word. So he is pleased. He's even insolent about it. He has already offered me his services, like some superior personage. He wanted to lend me money, like some banker or other. He refused. Indeed I did. Though I could have well accepted, since I am the one who gave him the first silver coins he ever had in his hands. But now Monsieur Dantes has no need of anyone. He is going to be a captain. Huh, said Danglars. He's not one yet. My God, it would be a fine thing indeed if he wasn't, said Caderousse. Otherwise there will be no talking to him. If we really want, said Danglars, he will stay as he is, and perhaps even become less than he is. What do you mean? Nothing. I was talking to myself. Is he still in love with the beautiful Catalan? Madly. He has gone there now, but, unless I am gravely mistaken, he will not find things altogether to his liking. Explain. What does it matter? This is more important than you may think. You don't like Dante's, do you? I don't like arrogance. Well then, tell me what you know about the Catalan woman. I have no positive proof. But I have seen things, as I said, that make me think that the future captain will not be pleased with what he finds around the Chemin de Via infirmaries. What have you seen? Come on, tell me. Well, I have observed that every time Mercedes comes into town, she is accompanied by a large Catalan lad with black eyes, ruddy cheeks, very dark in color and very passionate, whom she calls my cousin. Ah, indeed. And do you think this cousin is courting her? I imagine so. What else does a fine lad of 21 do to a pretty girl of 17? And you say that Dantes has gone to Les Catalans. He left before me. Suppose we were to go in the same direction, stop in the reserve and over a glass of Malgi wine, learn what we can learn. Who would tell us anything? We shall be on the spot and we'll see what has happened from Dante's face. Let's go then, said Caderousse. But you are paying. Certainly, Danglars replied. The two of them set off at a brisk pace for the spot they had mentioned, and when they arrived, called for a bottle and two glasses. Old Pamphilet had seen Dante go by less than two minutes before, Certain that he was in Les Catalans, they sat under the budding leaves of the plane trees and sycamores in the branches of which a happy band of birds was serenading one of the first fine days of spring. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.